This is The Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. We have worship at 9.30 a.m. during the summertime. We can be found online at hosannafreelutheran.com and in podcast format on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app as The Kingdom at Hand. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 6. And I read in Jesus' name. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, pray that you'd give us wisdom and humility to understand it, Lord, and to apply it and to walk in it. Father, that you might be glorified through it. Father, we pray that you would sanctify us through your truth, as your word is truth. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as, as we come into this, we start with a therefore. And, and what did we ask whenever we see the word therefore? What's it there for? <laughs> Because it's, it's a, what's called a logical conjunction in the Greek. Well, it, it's called that in English too, but I don't know any English speakers who actually use that terminology except for maybe like grammar teachers and Mark Eufer because that's what farmers do. Um, it's logical conjunctions. And so as the logical conjunction is pointing us back to a logical connection that's happening between what was just said and what is now being said. And so the foundation of this as far as I can tell, is forgiveness. So, Because what came right before this, what does Ephesians 4.32 say? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the foundation of our Christian walk. It really is. The fact that Christ has forgiven us. And there's, boy, I could have a whole... A whole point just on that phrase. As God in Christ forgave you. And this is so central. How many of you have ever dealt with someone who isn't forgiving? Holds on to grudges with a, like a death grip, it seems. Why does that happen? Jesus says, when he's talking to a Pharisee, I'm forgetting the name of the Pharisee, I think he's actually given, um, but the, the Pharisee says, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. And, and Simon was his name. And so Jesus says to Simon, um, he who is forgiven much, loves much. And so if someone's holding on to their grudges and is refusing to forgive, what does that teach us about them? It teaches us that they don't know how much they've been forgiven. They don't know forgiveness themselves. 
And you know, once I realized that, it really changed the way that I interacted with bitter people. Instead of being, well, it's not that irritation doesn't come up anymore. <laughs> that still happens. Um, but instead of just being irritated, now I pity. Because that would be terrible. Terrible to live your life not knowing that you stand forgiven. So you are carrying around all throughout your life all of this weight of all of the wrong that you have ever done. You know, trying to make amends, trying to, trying to now work it off somehow. You know, I think about these people that are in debt to college, you know, college loans, $90,000. Just saw an article put up by CBS. It was on their Twitter feed because um, <coughs> that's the only social media I use. And it was talking about this art student, art student, who was $500,000 in debt. To be an art student, like that's a high paid job. Is that even a job? They call that? I don't know how you can get a job as an art student. $500,000 in debt. They're going to work for the rest of their lives at minimum wage to maybe make a dent in that debt. Our debt to God is worse than that. And God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And that's how we need to look at this. And that's how we need to interact with this world. As those who have been forgiven all of the sins that we've ever committed. And even those sins that we don't know about. Because we're still held liable for those sins that we don't know about. There, and how do we know that? We know that's true. How do we know? In the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice specifically for sins that were committed unawares. Why would there be a sacrifice for those sins in the Old Testament and now we're not held accountable for them? We are still held accountable for sins that we have committed not knowing that we were sinning. And we're forgiven even for those. For those mistakes that we have made that we didn't even know there were mistakes. That's the kind of forgiveness that Jesus offers us. The abundance of grace. It's just huge. And Luther actually goes, this is one of my favorite Luther quotes. He's got some good ones. But this one isn't one of the funny ones. This is like the theological soundness of this. If we knew how great was our forgiveness... We would die of sheer joy. And it's like, wow. We don't even understand how much we've been forgiven. I was looking at this picture that Linda had um, up here. And as I first looked at it, I thought, hey, that's an iceberg. That's a great illustration. Well, no, actually, it's a mountain, so it's not an iceberg. But even as a mountain, it's a great illustration. Because what's a mountain? A mountain is a, a little jut of rock standing upon a huge piece of rock. The whole world. So also an iceberg. An iceberg is a little tip of ice that stands above all of the ice underneath it. What we understand about our forgiveness is like that mountain standing upon the world. We see the mountain instead of the world that's underneath. You see the little piece of ice that's on top. In the iceberg, instead of seeing the whole iceberg that's underneath. That is our forgiveness. And that is what we live in this world according to. Therefore, 
be imitators of God. Why? Because he's worthy. Who else is more worthy than God? This is what God does. Like, this is how much God has loved us. And therefore, as God, he calls us then to love others. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What does that mean? This is what God has done for us. He has forgiven us all of this that we have ever done. So then we are to bring this into the world and say, you know what, because I'm forgiven, I'm going to forgive you that you might know, at least to a small degree, the forgiveness that I have. Like, this gift that I have, I can't give it all to you, but I'm going to give you as much as I can. You were cruel to me, you know what, I forgive you because Jesus loves you. Because I've been forgiven all of this cruelty I've ever had towards God, I'm going to forgive you this little bit of cruelty you're doing towards me. You know, what's the worst sin? And no, Dante, who is in the in Dante's Inferno, who is at the pit of hell? Traitors. People who um, people who stabbed people in the back, like ah, uh, oh, now I'm forgetting his name. E2 Brute, Brutus. <laughs> Gotta get around it somehow. Brutus who stabbed Julius Caesar, who betrayed Julius Caesar. He was in the pit of hell. Judas who kissed Jesus and betrayed Jesus. He was in the pit of hell. You betrayed me. God has forgiven me all the betrayals I've ever done towards him. I'm going to forgive you so that you might know the love of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Be pushing this stuff out, giving it away because it's been given to us. We have so much more than we even understand. And then as we give it away, we come to understand it more because God gave himself to us. Because that's what this means. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The deepest thing that we have. The best thing that we have. That which lives within us that God has given us. We are to be giving away. And this is what love is at its heart. Love is to see the other person as being worthy and valuable of what God has given us. And the neat thing about it is as as I have attempted, I'm not going to say that I walk in this perfectly, um, but as I have attempted to be more forgiving and to be more loving, I come to understand God's forgiveness and God's love all the more. And so as I love and as I forgive, I actually receive way more back than I could ever give out. Because that which I have is way deeper than I ever understand. And so it's not until you start getting into, like, what does it really mean to forgive? That you really start getting into, what does it mean to really be forgiven? Because now I don't have to hold this anymore. I don't have to bear this burden. And then as we do that, we do that as an offering to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What is the greatest worship we can give? It's to be an imitator of God. You know, that is the greatest worship that we can give to God. It's to be an imitator of God. Parents have, like, well, I'm not going to ask you parents. I'm just going to talk about what Kirsten and I have talked about. You know, when, when my children get in trouble, Kirsten says that they're imitating me. Um, <laughs> which is probably more truth to that than I'd like to admit. But when they're doing well, 
she's more than willing to take credit for that. <laughs> and there's more truth to that than I'd like to admit, too. And my parents, my parents joked about the same thing. So I hear this coming out of Kirsten. It's like, oh, this is universal, probably. And here we have God who all he does is good. And he says, you know what I want to see out of you guys? I want to see you doing what I do. That's it. Just do what I do. That is the greatest worship we can give to God. We can say, God, you are so worthy to me that I'm going to do things like you do them. You are so wise and you are so powerful and you are so understanding that I'm going to listen to you instead of doing what I want to do. Instead of doing what my flesh wants me to do. Instead of doing what my sin wants me to do. Because when we do that, we're telling God, God, you are so wise, but I'm smarter. You are so good, but my desires are more satisfying. And so we do as God does because we say, God, you are so greater, so much greater than I am. And I'm just going to walk in your ways, trusting you because you are worthy. That is a fragrant sacrifice and offering to God. Will it take sacrifice? Yeah, you're not going to be able to listen to your sinful flesh and you're going to have to fight that. That's a sacrifice. That's hard, but it's best. Is it an offering? Yes. Is it what God deserves? Absolutely, but we're giving this to God then freely. So walk in love as heirs, as imitators of God, as God's children, as those who are called to bring what God has into this world. We have experienced it, and this world needs to experience it through us. We reflect God in our relationships. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. So what do these three things have in common? Sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. Now this word impurity is is a really hard word to define because it's so broad. Sexual immorality, I can define that very simply. That is all sexual activity that happens outside of a monogamous marital relationship. You know, that's pretty easy. Okay, we've got, this is what we are supposed to be aiming for. Everything that falls outside of that, that's sexual immorality. All right, got that. Covetousness, that's when I want that which someone else has. Uh, to be living in that. And this, these are in the present tense, so we get this idea of continuation. It doesn't mean that, you know, covetousness, I'm tempted towards covetousness. It means that covetousness comes in me, and then I embrace that, and I live in it. Instead of repenting of it, and confessing it, and giving thanks. Um, it'll come a little bit later. But what is impurity? Well, the interesting thing about that is, it's those things which turn off other people. You know, and that would be the best way that I could say that. And the difficulty of that is it to some degree, is it changes from culture to culture. Like covetousness and sexual morality are set all throughout time. But impurity is to some degree changed from culture to culture. And I'm not going to give you, you know, I've thought about a bunch of illustrations of that, but I can't use them because it would be, like, I don't know how to best describe that. So, why would we be walking in impurity? What does walking in impurity do? 
it breaks our relationships with others. Actually, I do have an illustration that I can use. Um, it's kind of silly, but you'll come to an understanding. So how many of you have ever been around like a fifth or a sixth grade boy that hasn't yet learned to shower? Anybody here? Yep, some of you know that. Uh, every day Jim's by that. Um, what does their impurity do to their relationships? Does it make you say, I want to go and hug this guy? Like, I, you know, I'm good. You know, that's what impurity does. Impurity drives apart relationships. And so all of these um, sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness, what they do is they demonstrate selfishness. That I'm only thinking about myself, that I'm not willing to think about the people that are around me. Because sexual immorality, people engage in sexual immorality in order to satisfy some sort of desire. To then the detriment of everybody that's around them and themselves as well. Sexual immorality always hurts everybody that it touches. Always. Without fail. I have never seen an exception to this. Ever. Can I say that any stronger? Period. And so if I'm engaged in sexual immorality, I am only thinking about myself. I'm living in selfishness, not in love. If I'm engaged in impurity, now, you know, a fifth or sixth grade boy that doesn't know to shower yet, they're not necessarily engaged in impurity. They just might lack social graces. But the, <laughs> it happens. I actually know adults that are like that too, but there's more fifth and sixth grade boys. But when we're talking about impurity in our lifestyles, it drives people away from us. And it, it is a sign of selfishness as well because I'm not thinking about how this is going to affect you. I'm only thinking about what I want. Like I'm going for shock value or one of those things, one of those ridiculous things that people pursue. And so then I hurt other people who are around me. And then I'm not loving if I'm living in impurity, I'm not loving whatever that impurity is. And if I'm living in covetousness, then I'm wanting what you have so that I'm not loving you, I'm loving myself. And so covetousness, if I'm coveting anything that someone else is, whether that be their intelligence, their good looks, their money, their health, their, you know, whatever, doesn't matter anything along the line if I'm sitting here living in covetousness. I am actually damaging my relationship with everybody that I'm coveting with. And actually, it's making me into a toxic person. Covetous, covetousness always hurts the person that's coveting. And then through that, hurts the people that they're interacting with. And so Paul says, don't even let it be named among you. Don't do any of these things. As is proper among the saints. Why is it proper among the saints? Because saints are supposed to be loving. I'm supposed to actually be thinking about you guys. And that's why I shower. You're welcome. <laughs> but this isn't just in our actions. This even goes into our speech. Um, Bodhi Bakum actually has a, a great, I don't remember the name of the sermon. We got a, a when we first found Bodhi Bakum, we listened to, I don't know, like six or seven of his sermons right in a row. And um, so as we were listening to him, he was talking about the, essentially the homosexual revolution that's entered into our culture. Because in the 70s, the American Psychiatric Society, or whatever that's called, uh, they had considered homosexuality a mental disorder. 
And now we're coming to the point in our culture where homosexuality, to speak against it, is hate speech. And so the, the vast change that's happened in less than 40 years, and he called this a revolution. And he said, how did they do that? The first step, and this was intentional. There were people that actually went through and figured out how to do this, and they wrote a book on it, I guess. Um, I've never read the book. But let, no, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but rather let there be thanksgiving. The homosexual revolution started with jokes. They started joking about it, and joking about it, and joking about it, until people started becoming comfortable with the jokes. And as they became comfortable with the jokes, well, then they started propping up funny homosexuals. And then, you know, like Ellen DeGeneres and that. So they started pushing these people forward who were funny people. And then they started putting them into the media. And this all comes out of one of Odie Bauckham's sermons. And I listened to this. I was like, wow, that happened. So why does Paul tell us to not to watch our speech? Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Why does Paul tell us this? Because as you speak, so you will ultimately act. You will move into that. And if not you as an individual, the group that you are interacting with. And so the people that you are around will move into that sort of lifestyle. They'll become more comfortable with it. Because now it's not shocking anymore. Their comfort zone has expanded to include whatever you are joking about. And now we've got to joke about something else, but it just continues to grow. We become comfortable with it, then we start to embrace it, and then we start to live it out as a group. That's what's going on with America right now. It's just amazing. And how did it all start? Crude joking and filthy so why do we avoid these things? It's because we're legalists. No, it's because they are dangerous. Here the slippery slope fallacy is true. This is how it works. This is what happens. But rather let there be thanksgiving. Here is a spiritual discipline to walk in. And so instead of focusing on all of these negative things, and you know I've, the old saying, well, I'm, the only reason I'm laughing is to keep myself from crying and that sort of thing. To be thankful in the midst of these difficult situations in life. You know, to, and this is something that as I read this text and have been meditating on this for, what, two weeks, two or three weeks now, um, I've been trying to embrace in my own life. And specifically, like last night, I was kind of tired and I was, you know, it had been a long day and there were, there were dishes that needed to be done. Like, ah, got to do dishes again. Not You guys probably never deal with that thought. <laughs> and then this verse came to mind. It's like, God, what are you trying to teach me? <laughs> I want to be negative. God says, be thankful with thanksgiving. Father, thank you for giving us dishes to do. Father, thank you for the food that made the dishes dirty. Father, thank you that I can stand here and do dishes. You know, and to focus then and be thankful. So instead of filling our lives and our minds with those things which are crude and filthy and shouldn't be in there, fill your minds with those things which should be in there. Start giving thanks because if you're going to give thanks for something, you have to have a reason to give thanks. And there's lots of reasons to give thanks. 
So instead of focusing on the fact that there were dirty dishes in the dishwasher, and that's really not Kirsten's fault because she had just done dishes and filled up the dishwasher, and so like they had just gotten clean. But we had more because we had company yesterday. Thank you, Lord, for the company that made these dirty dishes. And then as I could embrace all of the good things that I was given, it was easier to set aside the frustrations that I'm not able to go and do what I wanted to do. (laughs) Did that really matter? No, not really. Because God has given me all of these blessings by giving me dirty dishes. So to give thanks, when you feel that irritation or that bitterness rise up in you, to say, thank you, Lord. When that question comes, why am I thankful? Think about it. It's got reasons. There are reasons to be thankful. So fill your mind with those things instead of these things that are going to lead you deeper and deeper into sin. Then we also, because that's what it means to reflect God. But what if we refuse to follow God's ways? Then we are going to reflect God in a way that's not very enjoyable. Through punishment. Let no one, oh, four, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Everyone is a pretty broad category. Everyone who is. These things, sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous. Now that doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you're tempted by these things. This means that you've given yourselves over to them, that instead of repenting of them and confessing them as sin and doing battle with them, as is the Christian way. You know, the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. Our call is to, our, our call is to be walking in repentance, to be walking in holiness. And so we aim for that, but if we're not aiming for that, if we're living in sexual immorality, if we are living in impurity, if we are living in covetousness. Paul says, here's our end. Well, why is that? Well, obviously then, you don't know forgiveness. You don't know what forgiveness really means. You don't know that you can be forgiven of these things. You're not trusting God. If you're living in these things, you're not trusting God. Because God's the one who made sexuality. God's the one who gives us purity. God's the one who builds relationships. God's the one who gives us what we have, therefore we shouldn't be covetous. God's the one that's giving you what you have too. And so then why, what's my place in wanting that? Maybe I need to ask God for it. If I'm living in these things, that's a demonstration that there's something wrong in my relationship with God. And it needs to be fixed. It needs to be made right. And they need to be repented of and turned from and turned to God. And so everyone who's living in these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's that's quite a statement. Because there's only two options when it comes to eternity. And you've got an inheritance or you've got hell. Let no one deceive you. And this is the deception that comes then. It's not that bad. 
You ever heard that before? Well, it's not that bad. Um, yeah, it is. If there is sin in our lives, it is that bad. If there is sin that I'm refusing to confess, that I have embraced and said, you know, I want to live in this sin instead of living for God. It is that bad. Well, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Well, we're all sinners. This is true. And therefore, we all need to be repenters. We all need to be confessors. We all need to be trusters in Jesus. Well, we're all sinners. Then repent of your sins and turn back to Christ. Don't walk in this stuff. Let no one deceive you. Because that's what's going on. You're just fine just the way you are. God loves you. Don't worry about it. No. God loves you. Worry about it. Bring it to God. And after you've brought it to God, after you've confessed it and repented of it, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But until that point, this is separating you from God. And it's going to ultimately lead to hell. And this is something that, this is the danger that stands before me. If I refuse to repent of sin, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to walk away from Christ. So repent. Deal with it now. When God brings it to mind, deal with it. And if you're, you don't have to be sitting there afraid that there's some unacknowledged sin, some sin that you didn't know about. Because you can even bring that to God and say, God, if there's any sins that I don't know about, forgive me. And he says, okay, I have. But if we refuse to do that, if we hold on to our sins as being more valuable than God, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God will come. That's a fact. Well, God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody, right? Yeah, he did. So that means his forgiveness stands there for everybody. All they have to do is receive it. We receive it by confessing and repenting. Walking with Jesus. I've, I've told this story before, but it, it helps illustrate my point. When I was in fifth grade, fifth grade, yeah, fifth grade health class, um, Mrs. Hansen was our teacher, and she had us go over our tests afterwards so that, you know, we could check what we'd gotten wrong and figure out why we got it wrong and learn from that experience. And so I was paying attention, and she said something, you know, and, and this was the answer for this question. I don't remember what the question was, but I raised my hand, and I said, actually, I, I got that wrong, and uh, you marked it right. And she said, okay, I'll mark that in my book. And so I got, I got lowered a point in my book, because the thing that she had marked correct, was actually wrong, and I brought that to her attention. And at that moment, I learned a very valuable lesson. Never acknowledge when you've done something wrong. Because people might have missed it. At least in health class. When it comes to God, He didn't miss it. He already knows it. And so then we can come to God in full confidence that he is going to forgive us. We haven't hidden anything from God. For some reason, that wrong question was hidden from 
Mrs. Hansen. But when I brought it to light, I was discredited for it. But when I bring when I bring my sins to God, God says, "It's about time. Come and receive my forgiveness." Cuz that's the promise of God. I already know about it. I want to forgive you for it. Just come. Come and receive what I have. That's what God's offering. And that's why the wrath comes upon the sons of disobedience because they say, God, I don't want your forgiveness. I want to pay my debt myself. God says, you know what that means? Eternity in hell. So these are our options. This is our call. This is why we forgive so that they might know a little bit of forgiveness so that they might see the forgiveness that God has to offer all of this world. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you that you know all of our sins already. Lord, and even already knowing them that you call us to forgiveness. Father, I thank you for that. That's just such an awesome truth to know. Lord, and I pray that we would walk in that, knowing how much we have been forgiven. And desiring to be forgiven and to walk in purity, to walk in love, to walk in selflessness. Lord, bless us. Guide us, Lord, that we might reflect you properly as your children, as your heirs into this world, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.